Riley, oh, it's a lot louder. I'll take your mic. <laughs> Thanks. There you go. All right, I'm so excited for this. So as we kind of get ready and get situated, um, we do have paper Bibles over there. I always encourage everybody to just, there's something different about actually like holding a Bible and, and being able to flip through the pages. Um, so we always encourage you guys to grab those. While we're doing that, there's also note-taking paper back there with our points and the questions for small group time. So if you don't have those, I encourage you that as well. Um, I know as our senior pastors, Jeff and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Aaron want us to be a note-taking church and a, and a Bible-flipping church. So we're going to be doing that. But if you're too shy to do it, it's okay. Um, but as we're here, and I have Olivia here, um, because we did just go on retreat, which as you can see the banner over there, we did a retreat to help just refresh and refocus our souls on Christ. And so um, I'm going to have Olivia share just real quick something that God laid on her heart at the opening, and then uh, Trevor is going to share kind of at the end a little bit for us as well. Um, but the reason I'm doing this, and this is all God, it's never my planning, but uh, if we're, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 4 is all about an eternal rest. It's about the Sabbath rest that God promised his people. And so I thought, why not a better way to help have a couple people share their testimony of just something, nothing crazy or earth-shattering, but just something that was very impactful to them about this retreat where we were purposeful to refocus and refresh on Jesus. So, Olivia, the floor is yours. So, yeah. All right. Hi, guys. Thank you. Okay, so I went to the retreat. And the first night there, I ended up having a panic attack during the chapel session of it. And I deal with heavy anxiety almost every single day. Um, so I wanted to leave at 1030 at night. I wanted to drive home on the highway and go home. And I thought that would cause me less anxiety than to stay. Um, but some amazing people told me that I needed to sleep on it. and. They just encouraged me to stay and that I would get something out of it. And I didn't think that I was meant to be there, but I was. Um, and I found peace in community and in God. And the anxiety went away for the most part. Uh, a little bit of health anxiety here and there. But um, it just, if I would have went home, I would have missed out on a great opportunity to grow my faith with Christ and to find so many new friends and to grow the relationships I already had. Um, so never let the fear that something bad can happen prevent you from growing in your relationship with God. That's awesome. All right. And so with that being said, that's such a, it's, yeah, it's incredible to see what God did in even the littlest of ways or the most purposeful of ways on our retreat. Um, which we are already booking again for next year. So we're going to book early enough to where we can get more room. So you all who didn't get to go, now we're just going to keep taunting it with testimonials to where you do go. Got it? All right. Plus, uh, just shout out to Martha, who is an incredible pickleball player. Uh, that can't, I, I, didn't ex I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I didn't. She's just out there just playing pickleball. So uh, put me to shame. But it's all good. So, yeah, no, the retreat was a lot of fun. But as we get into our series again and as we keep going into this message, I just want to give a recap real quick and, and kind of give us kind of the flow of where we're getting to tonight. Because the book of Hebrews is amazing. It builds on each other with every chapter and every message that we're giving. And so chapter one was really the supremacy of Jesus. 
It was really this reality that Jesus is above angels and Jesus is above the prophets and Jesus is that, that ultimate focal point, right? Because a lot of religions are focused on these uh, cult of personalities almost. Like they would rather follow the name of a person than the person they're supposed to be pointing you to, which is Jesus, right? And we've seen this. We've seen when churches, sometimes they, they do a succession plan and and the people are, they've been with this pastor for 45 years, and all of a sudden you have a mini church divide because they're like, oh, he just so happened to take a pastorate right down the road. And they go follow him instead because they're not willing to be there for the, the actual message. They're more concerned about the person. And so he's saying, no, I'm above the prophets because Israel, and even we learned about the Samaritans, the Samaritans held prophets to a very high regard. And so the, the preacher in Hebrews who wrote this letter is saying, no, Jesus is better. He is the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate person bringing the word of God to you as the word of God in flesh. And then he goes on to talk about the angels. There's a lot of religions out there that, that take angels, which are a lesser topic in the Bible, and they try to mystify them and make them super cool. Like you, everyone's born with a personal guardian angel or, you know, Archangel Michael's running around slaying demons for you, right? Like we have all these weird imageries and thoughts and, and thinking, but in reality, the author and the, and the preacher of Hebrews is very quick to say, no, see, even angels are submissive and servants to Christ Jesus. See, where we're always, we can get so consumed with the lesser things in life, the Bible's constantly pointing us back to say, no, no, like, use those things as a guide. The prophets of old were a guide to point you to the Messiah to come. The apostles, the saints, right? We, we honor the saints in crazy, weird ways now, and there's saints for everything at this point, right? And the reality is, is I was actually, it's crazy. I was listening to a podcast, a shameless plug for them, cultish, but they were interviewing a guy who came out of Santa Maria, uh, Santa, Santeria, sorry, no, I almost butchered it, but Santeria, which actually has its roots in African spiritualism, and so when it came over to more of the Western society, what they did is they said, well, we don't want it to look completely crazy. So they actually took the saints of the Catholic Church and equated them to the gods that they deified in African spiritualism. And so really when people were saying, oh, Saint so-and-so is protecting me, behind that was the demonic force of this weird, just idolized god that they created. And so we do all these things, and we have all these things, and, and the Bible's like, no, Jesus is the central voice. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is supreme to all things that we could potentially make super cringy in the Bible. And then in chapter 2, we learn the supremacy of his message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the best message we could ever hear. The reality that God came in flesh to reconcile his creation back to himself because we could not save ourselves. How did he do that? He grew up as a child and then spent three years preaching the message of the kingdom and then he took the cross. Because you and I are sinners without, a, without any hope and yet Jesus came and said, I'm going to take the sins of this world. I'm going to be sacrificed on the cross and better yet I'm going to conquer death he then rose three days later and not only did he rise from the grave he now sits at the right hand of the father he is king Jesus and he comes with one message and that message is 
You are a sinner. You are broken. You are feeling those consequences whenever you're in disconnection from God. And the only way to restore that is by surrendering your life to Jesus and being made new by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the message. And then in chapter 3, we learn about how he's our intercessor. Pastor Jim came in last week and talked to us about chapter 3 and this reality that Jesus was better than Moses. Jesus was better than Joshua. Jesus was better than, than all, these, all these human figures that we see throughout the history of the Bible. Who, these men did really great things for the kingdom. These men did really good things. They led the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua took them into the promised land. Right? All these other prophets gave them the warnings before they went into exile. Then they went into exile because they didn't listen. Right? We never listen. So much so that even after exile, we got a couple more who were like, nah, now that we're rebuilding, we probably should still mm, turn to God. Right? We had three rounds of prophets. That's how much God cared to get his message across to us. So much so that he did finally, in fact, come in flesh. See, but there's, there's that moment, and this is where we're getting at tonight in chapter 4. It's about this eternal rest. I'll be honest with you guys, I had, the, I had the awesome opportunity to share with our high school middle school chapel this morning, and uh, Mr. Morton uh, back there, Trevor, I have to call him Mr. Morton in front of the students, and then I just lose it, and I call him like chaplain, pastor, Trevor, I don't know, like I lose all guidelines of where he is, uh, but anyways, he asked me, they're doing a series on emotions, and how do we handle our emotions as believers, and so he gave me the very easy route of depression and despair, it was great. But the beauty of it is, is it led me to this amazing passage, which I think will, it's a heart, I just, I love it because it shows us the heart of Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus comes out and the, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day were giving them just this burdensome, religious, legalistic, moralistic teaching of, well, if you're going to do this or if you're going to be right with God, you need to get circumcised even though you're a Gentile. And all these, they kept putting all these things and Jesus rebukes them, and then he goes on and says, no, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the next verse has this one little snidbit. And, and Dane Ortland's a great pastor and theologian. He wrote a whole book on this one verse, and he says, in this moment, Jesus ripped open the veil over his heart and showed us exactly what the king of this world, the Lord of lords, truly came to be for us. And Jesus says, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. There is nowhere else in scripture that gives us the description of Jesus Christ's heart towards his people. But that one verse tears it wide open for us. See, in Dan Ortland, he equated it this way in the book. He said, Jesus didn't come and say, I'm authoritative in heart. He didn't come and say that I demand all dignity and glory in heart. He said, I'm not, I'm not here even demanding respect in my heart from you. But what I am is I am gentle and lowly in heart. Why? Because he knew it was only through what he accomplished on the cross that we could have a right relationship with God again. And Jesus said, I care. People make up all these dumb topics and all these dumb ideas about how it's cosmic child abuse. God killed it. Why, 
Why didn't he just snap his finger like Thanos and make everything better? Which is the opposite of Thanos, I think. But it's fine. I'm not. That's my level of nerdiness ended right there. It's, but it was one of the best Marvel movies. Marvel, right? Yeah. All right, cool. I got the head nods. All right, perfect. But you see, you see, God works in human means, and so the whole book of Hebrews is really the, the, the preacher of Hebrews is showing us how the whole entire Bible is a summation of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do for us. And so in chapter 4, we get this beautiful reality of what it means to be a believer and what it actually offers to you and I. See, one of the Ten Commandments is this, keep the Sabbath holy, right? And for us who might not know exactly what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath was, so in creation, God created in six literal days, and then on the seventh, he rested into his creation. See, we get confused sometimes that God is this weird God who created in six days, and then he rested from his creation, and he kind of just set it in motion, and now he's just kind of chilling until he's like, all right, Jesus, you got this, go back. No, actually, in the, in the original language, and when you read Genesis, it says he rests into. It's an active rest. It's, a, it's this peaceful activity that God did into his creation. And it says, so he rested into this. So what he gave his people, he said, you know what? For six days, you're going to work. For six days, the consequences of sin are going to wreck your life. You're going you're gonna to sweat from your brow as you till the land to try and make a living. You're going to have arguments with friends, co-workers, and loved ones. There's going to be all this animosity because sin came and you guys chose to try to be better than me. And so now you have to live through those consequences. But if you are mine, that seventh day you are going to set apart and you are going to say, you know what? For a whole day, I'm going to sit back and just lavish in the fact that God is completely in control. And it was this, this glimpse of this reminder of what we had lost and what one day we get to regain if we are his. And so this really intrigued me because this is usually a thing where people are like, oh, you're a Christian and you talk about the law, but you know what about the Sabbath or the shellfish argument, which both are just funny. But so I, when I was, I love Barnes & Noble. It, uh, the, the, one of the best dates Jess and I have is we just go to Barnes & Noble for like an hour and we tell each other like two books max, right? Like you get two books and normally I find five and she finds none, right? It's always that way and she's always the one who's wanting to go. So, but I found this book in the Jewish section on the Sabbath. And it was by this, he's actually, he was a New York professor. He just recently passed away. His name was, and you're gonna, he is very Jewish, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Not trying to stereotype, but that's pretty Jewish. But this is what he said. So he was a professor on Jewish theology, on Jewish belief. And so this is what he said about the Sabbath in his book. And I think this is the best way to really describe the, and it's such, if you want to know about Jewish tradition and, and the Old Testament and Jewish law and Jewish custom, go to the Jewish people. They got it pretty down pat. I mean, they missed the Messiah, but they got it down pat, right? And so this is what he said about the Sabbath. He said, the meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. And on the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to the holiness in time. 
It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. How beautiful of an imagery that is to see how they honored the Sabbath, how they honored that seventh-day eternal rest that God is currently and already rested into and we are now either in disconnection of or in relationship to. I love this because on the seventh day, God, we kind of talked about this, God was resting into this creation. That means after he created and established with humanity this reality that they would co-rule and co-subdue this earth with an end result. He, he wanted to co-labor with Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And God walked in the garden with them. It wasn't this just, I'm going to plant human beings and then just let them figure it out on their own. He said, no, I'm going to take human beings, I'm going to put them in this garden, and we're going to co-labor together into this global Eden that was just going to be this utopia of us and God coexisting, co-ruling. And we let it fall, so we were kicked out of the garden See, because in Genesis 3, we obviously read that we failed, right? Adam and Eve wanted to be greater than God. The wording is they wanted, they wanted the knowledge to be like God, right? That's what Satan tempted them with. But when we make that stupid of a decision, you might as well just say you tried to be greater than God. Because you're obviously going against his word. So I want to ask you guys, as we now truly enter into the text, talking about rest and talking about all these things, how many of you guys have ever experienced a season in your life, and I think it comes far and few in between as you're a young adult in your 18 to 28-ish range, is truly like a, this restful state of mind. Like, I'm not talking cat nap. I'm not talking like you called in for a pointless meeting at 6 a.m. at work and you came home and slept on the couch type rest. I'm talking about the you're, you're awake or you're asleep, you're working, or you're, you're just relaxing, and there's just this, it's this restful feeling. The best way I can describe it is in a very silly temporal way, but like being in like high school or even college, it's the breaks. You have, you actually, you're like, dude, I get to go home and there is zero responsibility, right? Like you just get to go home, watch TV, read a book, hang out with your friends or your loved ones, and you're just present right? It's that, it's that you're truly present feeling. There's not your minds off on 18 different things or trying to plan student camp or figuring out what you're going to do with youth tomorrow, right? And for everyone in here who's an overachiever and an overworker, you know, I trust, I get it. I know how difficult it is to have those moments of genuine rest, but that's the best way I can describe it. It's just that you're present. There's no distractions. You're not worried. That's the type of rest that the Sabbath represents to us as God's people. It's active. We're doing stuff, but you're doing stuff and there's joy. There's peace. You're present. Adam and Eve were literally going to subdue a planet. And it was, it was going to be like, ah, cool. Like there's another orchard. Like they were going to be co-laboring with God Almighty. Like they didn't even, this is the part that I'm a little stressed out about. They didn't even eat meat. 
I'm very stressed on that notion. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I cook steak about four times a week. So I'm just a smidge stressed. I'm hoping, you know, when we get there, God's goodness, and he wipes away every tear. That includes when he tells me, no steak. Then he's going to be like, all right, no tears. So I might shed one in that moment. So where do we begin? What are we doing? Well, let's dive into, first, into, into chapter 4. So therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains. So right, we talked about how Moses failed to bring them into the promised land. Joshua took them into the promised land, and yet there was always still dismay. That, that promised land never really came to fruition. That rest for God's people was never really exemplified. It says that all in chapter 3 for us. And so he says, therefore... This is already a great start. Therefore, the promise to enter his rest remains. Let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard in faith. See, really, we can even go back further than Moses and Joshua. We can go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first human beings who were meant to be that example, they're our, they're our example. We turn to them, right? And we, we see how, human, how humans have fallen. They failed. They failed to get the rest. Noah, Noah, he literally, him and seven other people, you got pretty good odds not to mess this up. And yet, after the flood subsides, the boat lands-ish, I don't know, what that's, you know, docks on the ground, and they walk out, and he starts off so good. God gives them this covenant promise that he'll never flood the earth again, right? And Moses builds this altar as a reminder, and the fragrance was so good to God because Moses' heart, I mean, Noah's heart was in it, and he was like, we're going to do this. We're going to go forth and subdue this planet. All the wickedness was wiped away, And then he planted a vineyard and got drunk in a tent and his kids walked in on him. He didn't last long. And so we see it over and over again, these examples. And yet, what does the preacher of Hebrews say to us? He says, therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us be aware that none of you will be found to fall in short. Guys, your faith, yes, is individual. I can't save you. You can't save me. If I talk you into it, someone can talk you right out of it. Your salvation is all powered through God Almighty above who gave you the grace of hearing the gospel. You were convicted and you surrendered your life. But God uses people to share the message of true hope. God calls us to go bring the gospel to other people. So if you walk around your life going, I've got my hell insurance, I don't need it. I don't, I'm good with y'all. Y'all figure it out on your own. You're missing it completely. They're over and over are we commanded. Do not fall short. Be aware that you fall short. And he says, this is the beautiful thing. I love this. Last part. It's so almost just subdued in there. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard in faith. See, that eternal rest has always been factored on the fact of a faith-based relationship. It's so easy for us to look at the Old Testament and go, there's two separate gods we're dealing with. There's two separate modes of salvation we're dealing with. 
There's two separate people of God who God is interacting with. And yet over and over again in almost every sermon series we've done here with the young adults, I pray scripture has proven to you, not me, but scripture, that God does not change. Salvation has always been the same. And it will always be by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. I still love it that I get to quote a rapper who said, in the Old Testament, it was credit. In the New Testament, it's by debit. See, in the Old Testament, they had faith in the Messiah to come who was going to restore them. In the New Testament, we have faith in Christ Jesus who paid the price for us all. See, they were, they were having faith in that check to cash. We got the cash check. Jesus paid it all. And that is the best thing that we can hold on to. And he says it here. See, they didn't have faith. So they could not enter the rest. So as we keep going in verse 3. For we who have believed enter the rest. In keeping with what he said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. Verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. See, in verse 3, that entered, right? For we who have believed enter the rest. I went to school for a very long time. I'm taking this from Pastor Jeff. To be able to tell you, I could click on a button on my computer and I could pull out some Greek and Hebrew books. And I found out that that word enter in the Greek is an active present word. So actively, we can enter. Presently, you can have that rest. This isn't a future enter. This isn't a, this isn't a one day you'll be able to experience. It says, no, you can actively experience and enter this eternal rest that only God can offer. And you can presently enjoy the benefits of it. That's the fun thing about learning words. I failed, I think, a lot of my English classes, and my grammar is awful. But thank be to God for computers and smart people who made them. Because we get to learn that. We could honestly end there, but no, we keep going. And it says, why, right? Why? How is this possible that you and I can still enter this rest? Well, first, we see that God established and finished his work before creation. And then on the seventh day of creation, God still entered into that rest that we missed. See, how is this rest being held currently? Is it by your good works? Is it by the faithfulness of the wilderness generation that all died off before they could even meet the promised land? Is it being held up by those prophets of old who were warning God's people, repent, believe, do not go into exile? Is it being held up by those? Is that, is that how it's, that rest is being powered? No, it said from the foundations of this world, before the foundations of creation, our sovereign and good God already established this truth. And just when in Genesis 3, we're like, man, we really screwed up this story. <laughs> we didn't even make it out of the first book of the Bible, and humanity's already like, ah, you tried. And that was honestly their downfall. They tried. They tried to be God. And yet what it says is, is God still entered that rest. 
So the same God who holds your eternal soul, if you're his, is the same God holding that eternal rest that he, only he can offer. See, we talked about this in Revelation 1 with John, when John is coming face to face with the risen Messiah. He's holding the, the spirit of the church, the whole reality of his bride called the church. He is holding together in his sovereign power. And yet in that same hand, when John falls flat on his face at the image of Jesus glorified, he reaches down with that same hand to John to give him comfort. We don't serve a savior any less than perfect. We serve a Savior who can simultaneously hold this world and all of creation together and yet at the same time care exactly about how Kevin is doing. Who can care exactly about how Sam and her baby are doing. Who not only cares, but is currently knitting that child in her womb. And yet he is holding this whole world together. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that said, before creation, I promise I have a rest for those who will give their lives to me. That the world can only try to offer with falsehoods. In verse 5, we continue and says, again, in that passage, he says, They will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, a lot of the talking that we're doing, a lot of this information that we're hearing is a lot of Old Testament. It's a lot of pushback. Why? Because he's talking, he's preaching to a congregation, to a church of a lot of Messianic Jews or born-again Jews. So he's using their Old Testament, he's using the Old Testament, their scriptures to remind them that just because it's in the past and those things happened, it doesn't outweigh God's ability to work in the future. And I think that's something pointed that I didn't even think about in my points for the end of this. And now I'm a little jealous, but now I get to say it out loud. How many of us live life needing to get this wake-up call? How many of us look at our past and say, well, I've done screwed it up enough. God can't work. God can't fix this. God can't change this. I'm too far gone. How many of us live in that life where there is God Almighty wanting an intimate relationship with you and you go, "Mm, he's kind of in this box up there far away and I've already missed the boat. No. Scripture says there is a day and that day is today. That day is today for you my hearers here at the Hebrew church, that day is today for you here tonight at the refinery. That day is right now remembering that God moved first. While you are either still dead in your sin and trespasses or you were once dead in your trespasses, God moved towards you. Someone presented you the gospel. God loves you so much that he reached out via somebody, somewhere, somehow to give you his good news of his son, Jesus Christ. 
That is how loving and amazing of a God that we serve and have. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his See, how do we have hope and knowledge that this is still true for us? How can I sit up here and tell you that this rest is still able to be entered? How can he look at them and say, you're not too far gone? Because at every other marker in the Bible and every other moment in history, every other Billy Graham crusade that there was, God wasn't done. God wasn't waiting for the 144,000 to get filled up back in the 70s and then called it quits. Until Jesus Christ comes back, reigning and ruling, you have hope. You have the opportunity to understand exactly who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. And if you're a believer this side of heaven, you have the command and the mission to go make sure that message is preached from every mountaintop, from every storefront, from every nursing bed, from every hospital room, from every classroom that there can be. That is our one goal in life, is to love God and love others. We do not save the people but my goodness, do we get the opportunity and the gift to present the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to them. And as we close up, he finishes off this way. Because of all this, because of this reality that this rest is still so applicable for you and I, that God is still saving people, that God is still active. He's not distant or far away. God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. There was not a single person on this planet that God was like, oh, cool. He's there? Awesome. Jesus, go. Go become a baby and grow up. Now's the time. There's a good guy. No, it said while we were all sinners, while not a single one of us, God was looking down going, Yep, he filled the checklist at Awana's 10 times. We're golden. Go. No, God said now is the perfect time for the summation of this whole story of, from the garden till now that I'm going to send my time. He said he said at the perfect time he sent his son. There is not a single moment in this history and in our future that is by accident. That is not part of his redemptive plan. And so now he says because of all of this that we've covered in just 10 verses, he says, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience for the word of God is alive and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eye of him whom we must give an account. I love the balance of this preacher in Hebrews. 
he says, uh, he radiates that message that I love to give. God is sovereign, yet we are responsible. God is so in control that he was able to make a creation have a choice, and it wasn't outside of his plan. To be able to, the good news is, I don't have to do that work out for you, because he doesn't give me that information. All he gives me is, he says, I know who are mine, you let all who call on the name of the Lord be saved. That means he's sovereign, and you and I are very responsible. And yet, and when we get to heaven, there will not be a single person where the angel at the gate is going to be like, whoopsie-daisies, you weren't supposed to be here. And there's not going to be a single person going into hell going, what? I thought we made this pretty clear, Jesus. It means that God is so sovereign that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, all his lost sheep will be in his eternal sheep field. And all those who discredited him, said, I'll take my time, said, this is a bunch of nonsense, he will lovingly send into eternity of that state of mind. No one's going to walk into hell kicking and screaming. This side of heaven, they chose that reality. And so God, as a loving God, allowed them to spend eternity having those same thoughts. It's not because he's hateful or vengeful or wrathful towards these people. I mean, he's wrathful. But, a lo- but he's, lo- he's loving. You've made the choice. You said, I don't want Jesus. So when eternity comes knocking you get to spend eternity without Jesus. And then for all of us who become believers and have to suffer this side of heaven, we get this eternal rest. We actively get to experience it in the midst of the battle between sin or spirit and flesh. And one day we get to experience it whole for the rest of our lives. That should be hope for you to endure the hardships of this world today. Let the fact that Jesus Christ is the one that's going to bring you home give you enough strength to face the fact that you just had a loved one diagnosed with cancer. Let it give you enough hope for when you face the reality that you just lost a loved one. Let it give you hope that as you raise children in a world so dark and so cold, you get to be the light and the warmth of Jesus to them. This eternal rest is so powerful, yet so simple. Because all it takes is for us to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus, I'm yours. And what does he do? He says, I will give you a peace beyond understanding. But Mitch, what happens when I struggle? But Mitch, what happens when I'm not experiencing that currently in my life? What happens if something's so raw in my soul currently that I can't see past two inches in front of me without breaking down? You do exactly what he said. He says you turn to the ever-living, beautiful, effective, sharper-than-any-two-edged sword word of God. You turn to the word of God. You turn to this. You don't turn to the self-help books. You don't turn to the 12-step programs. You don't turn to the the friend who's just going to look at you and go, I'm a good theologian, just have more faith. 
You don't turn to those. You turn to the word of God and God-fearing friends who hold his word with reverency. Who will not be afraid to say, mm, yeah, that's happening because you're not living right in this area. Or, hey, I know it hurts, but we serve a Savior who says, look at my heart. On it is written, I am gentle and lowly. I come to bring the lost home. I come to give rest to the burdened. I come to give life to those who are dead. That is the Savior we experience and the Savior who brings us here. See, what tool is given to a man to discern his stance with this rest of God and defend him from the attacks of sin and Satan? It's your Bible. Get off TikTok. Get off YouTube. I do love the videos you guys send me sometimes of these cringy people. Whether you mean them to be cringy or not, I think they are. Um, Get off all of that nonsense and get plugged into a local church with God-fearing pastors and teachers. I would rather die before I enter this pulpit and preach you some moralistic feel-good nonsense. I know the men of this church who God has called to be pastors here. Pastor Jeff setting the example, Pastor Charlie, for years before. All we will do is teach you the word of God. And whatever that convicts you of on that Sunday morning is exactly what God needed for you. If we preach this Bible and if we read this Bible for ourselves with truth, humility, and respect... You will never have to question if you're going to leave with some good conviction and comfort. This Bible has the answers for us, and it has the rest laid out for you to say, just turn to Jesus, for he will give you rest. See, if the Bible was written by man, we'd be looking pretty good, right? You would obviously want to write yourself pretty decent. Bless you. But how do we have such a testimony of Scripture written over such a vast amount of time by so many different people, and yet three chapters in, we look massively dumb, That is, it sounds so silly, but that is such an amazing proof to me that this book is alive and active because it has stood firm for over 2,000 years. It has constantly been reaffirmed by discoveries in history. No philosophy or false religion has overcome it. And we definitely don't look good in this book. But you know who looks really good in this book? Christ Jesus. The king who literally died so you and I could be a part of his kingdom so that he could give us rest. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, he died in your place so that you could have rest and new life. And so as I read my two points, I'm going to have Trevor come up so he can kind of share off on his, on his experience with the retreat. But the first point is this, and this is why we now leave him blank so you guys can get engaged, right? You know, after me talking your ears off. And write them down. But the first point is, the word of God should be your first resource for rest. 
You can come up here. I got, I don't, I don't, yeah, no, you're good. You can't interrupt me yet. The word of God is the first resource for rest. Guys, our world will pump out any means necessary to make you pay to find out what's wrong with you. I can do it in three seconds. You're a sinner. You, you, without Jesus, you are dead. Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses. There you go. I solved all the problems of why you're weird. <laughs> and yet God gave the solution. What was the solution? The message that comes to life because of this living book, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while you and I were still sinners, Christ Jesus came, he died on the cross, paid for our sins, took the grave, rose victorious, and now sits as King Jesus on the right hand of the Father, dispensing forgiveness of sins and the sealing of your heart by the Holy Spirit to now live for him forevermore and experience his rest. And point number two, stop trying to fit a to-do list where Jesus already marked it done. Your soul is secure in him. See, guys, we get this flipped around so often. We always want to do the to-do list to be able to have Jesus say it's been done. And yet Jesus made it pretty clear when he was on that cross. He said it is finished. He didn't go and do some more work and stuff in the grave. He wasn't tinkering around down there. He went down there victoriously. He went down there, as First Peter describes to us, and he proclaimed, hey, you guys, even in the day of Noah, you should have listened to the dude. Here I am, glorified King Jesus. See, we, we too often, we, we as humans, we like to fix things, right? Even some of our teachers, right? You, you, we like to give homework because it marks how people are doing. And yeah, it's this to-do list. I hate homework, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but we so often try to fit a to-do list where Jesus already marked it done. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to fix your depression your anxiety, your sadness, your anger, your addictions, your lusts. Stop trying to solve all of them with a to-do list from some guy selling a bestseller from New York Times. Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished. And then he says, because I have finished the work of forgiving of sins, because I have done it, you now have the grace to go live differently. It's because he gives you the power, you now can go home and be a better friend. It's because what Jesus did on the cross that you can now go home and be a better sibling. It's now because of what he did on the cross, you now can go be a better teacher and love all these kids when really you just want to punch them in the head. It's now because of Jesus that we even get the gift of some young adults in here who get to go home and parent their children only the way a saved person can. It's only because of what Jesus did that there are people in this room who can even keep their head held high for more than four seconds because the weight of the world is too damning. It is because of Jesus that we get to do these things. So it's because 
of Jesus, we now get to walk through life knowing that we're going to have stress through the day and day, and there's going to be these things that weigh on us. But ultimately, whose are you? You belong to King Jesus, and he's the one who's promised to bring you home. So whatever you think is just too much for you, realize it is, and then lean on Jesus. My one last caveat, and I'm going to have Trevor share. Jesus will definitely give you more than you can handle. I don't know where the weird out-of-context thing came that where God will never give you anything you can't handle. False. The waking up knowing I'm a sinner is too much to handle. Yet I have Jesus who conquered it all for me and holds me up. And so in that, I want to just have Trevor share for a moment your experience on the retreat and First off, off, thank you. Uh, Would you guys guys give it up for Pastor Mitch? Thank you for that word. Thank you for laboring well and preaching and teaching and taking us to the word. We really seriously appreciate that. So Mitch just wanted me to share um, a highlight from our retreat that we just did. And I love that I actually got to go after you preaching because what you just preached on was it, Sabbath rest, right? And so I don't know that there was like this singular moment where I was like, oh, yes, Lord, thank you for that. But just the overall feeling of just having this time together with so many of you guys in here, just being, just resting, getting together, worshiping Jesus together, uh, having messages preached, getting time in devotional. And then a lot of the time it'd be like, wake up, breakfast, chapel, worship, um, message time. And then we'd have like five hours of free time. So for me, that was five hours of hot tub time, Okay. And so for me, if I'm going to say there was like one highlight, it was a hot tub, okay? And I'm like, I'm like a hot tub snob, y'all, okay? So I hate when I go to a hot tub and it's a lukewarm tub, okay? If you were here for the book of Revelation, you know how the Lord feels about being lukewarm, okay? It's got to be hot. So when I first stepped into that hot tub, like, like the hair on my leg like singed, I was like, yes. And there was multiple people who were like, this is way too hot right? But I would get, yeah, yeah, Emily's like shaking her head, yeah. And, and, but I would go in there, and I would just get in there, and I would just post up, and I would rest. And I got to hang with some of you guys, and talk with some of you guys, and a group would leave, and a different group of young adults, you guys would come and join me. And I got to just know a lot of you through that. And then also on this, like, campground, at this, like, uh, it's called Word of Life Institute, there's also, like, a, um, you know, 55-plus, like, retired uh, trailer park next to it. And so a lot of them, like 60, 70-year-olds, would just come and hang out with us. So some random guy from Canada, someone from New York, would just come, and you just get to talk with them. And you'd have the coolest conversations with them. Okay, and then every night there was, like, s'mores and, and, and campfire. And so, again, guys, like, there wasn't this singular moment, but it was just this overall moment of just being restful with my friends. I was just, I came back feeling so refreshed, so rejuvenated, getting my eyes fixed on Jesus, being reminded what's the most important thing in my life. And I got to do it alongside people, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, got to go deeper in my friendship uh, with a lot of you guys. And a number of you, I heard, you made a new friend this weekend, right? And I just came back so uh, refreshed. And so, man, next time we go on this trip, man, I really encourage you, go. If you're on the fence, just go. Even if you've got to get work off for like a Friday, do it. And maybe we'll have another one this year. I don't know. Nudge, nudge. We'll see. But we're gonna, it's going to happen again eventually. And, and, and highly would encourage you guys, come on out. Um, 
it was it was a very Sabbath filled weekend, very restful, very renewing. So yeah, hot tub was my highlight. Yeah. I guess yeah. Yeah, I mean okay. All right. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray, but we are gonna spend time. Um, Thursdays are always weird. I don't think we ever really hold to a time frame. So if you're new, welcome to young adults. Like we kind of just we go. There's a flow, but not a timed flow. So um, we are going to go here now into a time of small groups. So those papers that you guys had to take notes, they, had, they have questions on them as well. And I really felt like only the two were necessary um, because I genuinely want us to really just focus on this aspect of rest. And like I said, not just like that really good cat nap, which those for me, I just wake up grouchier. Um, like, but that just like ever present, just like you're restful and like you're, you're okay. Like you're walking around. You don't mind that the weird guy kind of stopped you to talk to you. Like you're just good. Right. And so let's talk on these questions. We're going to put a timer up on the screen and always something I forget to reiterate sometimes is we do have leaders all across this room. Like the Freddies, we have Martha, we have Jared back there. Trevor was one of them. Tim, um, Nigel, you're honorary as long as you're here. So... (laughs) He just has a really cool accent, and Jess is over here. I mean, we have leaders kind of scattered all across for you to just kind of gain their wisdom and and get poured into. Um, So let me pray, and then we're going to go into that time of discussion. And usually, um, Jess and I sit up here, sometimes she'll sit at a table, but I sit up here in case you have an individual question, or if your table's really struggling with my grammar of a question, uh, or if you just want to have a very serious talk about salvation or about your faith or where you're at. I sit right here. The mic is off, but it's on my head. Um, so we can just talk about it and really dive in deeper. Sound good? Yeah. All right, let me pray real quick, and we'll dive into that time. Fathers, thank you for this. God, thank you. Even just for the, I, I feel like just what Olivia and Trevor spoke was, was enough. Um, God, we are so thankful that you create opportunities in our lives to just experience that Sabbath rest, to experience that reality that, God, one day, if we are yours, we get to go home for eternity, and there's there's not going to be a tear. There's not going to be anxiety. There's not going to be stress. There's not going to be war- like this just burdened work. It's going to be a renewed work. God, I, I love that you even have struck my heart on that aspect of the fact of just a little side note, God, that you've <laughs> you created work before the fall. So work isn't a consequence of sin. Just, sin. just labored work is. So God, it's crazy to think that you even have something planned for us where we're going to be active, we're going to be, we're going to be intentional, and yet, God, it's going to be so restful. And you, and you promise us that if we, are, if we surrender our lives to Jesus, that, that you offer that to us in the darkest of days. And so, God, as we enter into this time of just kind of conversing over your word and the questions that we just heard, Lord, let it be magnifying your name. Let it be people willing to be open and honest where they're at with you so they can learn so that they can grow, so that all of us can leave here both comforted and convicted. God, that is how your word works. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It comforts and it convicts. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this community and for this church that allows us to thrive and be alive as a young adults ministry. God, we love you so much. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.